okay, it's important to start with the framework with it within which we find this teaching Patita Samapada, that it's not just an uh, appendix A of some large book or an afterthought or anything like that. That in fact, Patita Samapada is in fact the very heart of the teachings of the Buddha. And so that's an important point. The question then is, is that if it is in fact the throbbing heart of uh, the teachings of the Buddha, how does it fit into the rest of the body? And the re- and it does it like this: that the Patita Samuppada lives under the second to noble truth. So, if you really understand the teachings of the Buddha, you understand it in the sense of the uh, four noble truths. And that to really understand the second noble truth is this detailed understanding of Patita Samuppada. So, in order to start with that, then we can look down through the layers. And so the layers are the the uh, dukkha dukkha naroda is the top layer. That's the, all the Buddha teaches. That's where we get started. The second layer is the four noble truths. The third layer is the second noble truth. And how does it fit in with the second noble truth? Is in the following way. Um, they're normally listed as greed, ill will, and delusion. And yet, we have to really understand this delusion part because that's the real introduction to Paticca Samuppada. And so, um, a kind of an interesting way to to do it is to understand, everybody understands that greed and ill will are problematic. There are dangers involved with that. That's kind of easy for everyone to see. Mm -hmm. And in fact, one's wrong view about these dangers is, is that they can do it and get away with it. Okay, so wrong view then is delusion that I can go ahead and do these things the way, uh, when I like something, I'm not willing to look at the fact that that's dangerous. If I like it, all I can see is the delight and I can't see the danger. And so the teaching of Paticca Samapada is let us look at the dangers very closely. And by doing so, then we can come out of our delusions that we can get away with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is really what the teaching's all about. It's all about let's come out of our delusionary uh, views that we can participate with dangerous things and not receive uh let's say, the burden of that danger, that we can get away with it, get off scot-free, so to speak. And we never do, and we wind up suffering, but we will not change our mind and say that, oh, I can't get away with it because we don't look closely. And so a lot about the presentation of uh, the beginner's dhamma is to learn to start paying attention to what the mind is doing. Okay, after we really get fairly good at beginning to see what the mind is doing and start substituting uh, wholesome, now is the time to really go into the depths of just how unwholesome things are. Okay. And that's actually then the teachings of uh, the second noble truth, is that if we understand the enormity of the danger 
in wanting things, mm-hmm. then we can find the escape from that. Does this have to do with the drawbacks of of the, That's this the wanting? The draw, right, the drawbacks of wanting. You can use the word drawback or you can also use the word danger. And in fact, if you use the word drawback correctly, it's like you touch something hot and then you draw your hand back. Mm. Okay. That's what we mean by a drawback is because we see it's dangerous to try to hold a uh, grasp hold of that hot rock. I've already burned my hand, so I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to do like that. So these are the kind of terms that we uh, need to understand that there is danger. There are drawbacks. There are problems with this. And the simple example is a donut. Everybody likes donuts. (laughs) All right, so everybody likes donuts, but when someone is on a diet, then they will start looking at the danger. And if he can see danger in that donut, then he can find an escape from that. But if he does not see the danger in that donut, then then the donut will own him yeah. And he thinks he's eating it, where in fact is eating him and is lodging right in there and gaining place. Uh, so we can actually then expand that um, item of donut to anything that we want. Yeah, anything, because anything has a drawback. Anything has a drawback. And so what we need to learn to do <clears throat> is to take weight and balance so that we can begin to see what's worth having or not. uh, There's a term that's used in business. It it is cost-benefit analysis. Mm -hmm. And we need to do that. This is part of the investigation. The investigation is to do a cost-benefit analysis on every thought and every feeling to see the danger in it. Uh, and if it's dangerous, that means it's unwholesome, and out it goes, not worth our time and effort, and to put our time and effort into something that allows us to feel really comfortable, really good, really, really human, the top of it all, as an animal, which is normally the way that we live. So... This is the root of it. Now, how that is put together is with the following. In order to practice the Eightfold Noble Path, we take on the practice of Anapanasati. And Anapanasati is done for the fulfillment of the the four foundations of mindfulness, the Satipatthana. The Satipatthana is, in fact, the way that we're looking at it from uh, uh, the, the perspective of Anapanasati is the body, the feeling, the mind, and the mind's objects. Mm-hmm. So this is the Satipatthana, but that Satipatthana can be rearranged. Okay? So as we're making a rearrangement, we're arranging it in now into the five aggregates. The four foundations of mindfulness in one way of looking at it is nothing but the five aggregates in another way of looking at it. Instead of the mind and the mind's objects, we can say the consciousness and perception and the memory system is what gives rise 
to mind's objects. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that mind's object then can be called a salyatana. What's that? Salyatana means uh, an internal representation of external sense input. An idea is another Okay, word. so when I see something and I put it together, like there was this example, I see, I see a horse and I just see hair and brown and I make a horse out of it. And you make a horse out of it, precisely. Okay. That's the outcome, is a horse. With a complete mental image of horse, or maybe dozens of horses. Spotted horses and long-tailed horses and horses that have great big uh, heavy feet and horses that are really big and yeah, horses... Yeah, the smell and freedom and all that's attached to right. <laughs> And if you don't watch where you're going, he'll run you under a tree, <laughs> knock you off. <laughs> Been there, done that too. <laughs> but that was when I was six years old, so that was something new anyway. Someone different. <laughs> Never mind about horses. The fact is, is that the horse is a mental construction, not the animal itself. Mm -hmm. That in fact, there is, I was just pointing out, a wide variety of those kinds of animals. And that we put one label, horse. Okay. And so actually the concept of horse itself misses all so much because there's such as trying to encompass a great deal of, of variety. This is what we mean by a generalization. And that's how we think. We think in generalities. Mm -hmm. Okay. In other words, if I see one uh, African that does one wrong thing, then all Africans are always doing wrong things. Yeah. <laughs> this, this, is, this is the way that the mind works. Sorry about that. But that's the much more primitive part of the mind. Uh, so, getting back to uh, that constructed image is actually based upon the sophistication of our memory system, which is called the Sankara in the pile. Okay. All the things that we've gathered together and constructed, and we do that with language, we do that with uh, uh, body skills, and we mostly do it with feeling. Mm -hmm. we, we, we feel the way that we remember feeling. As it's what you were talking about, uh, you, you're in the habit of mm -hmm. when you're always sad, like it's hard to get out of sad. Right. Okay. And... Now, the final point is, is that uh, the five aggregates are the foundation of and, and every item of the Sankara uh, body, feeling, uh, consciousness, perception. All of those things are actually listed individually as one of the 12 steps of uh, Paticca Samapada. Okay. Interesting. So. Now we unpack the whole thing. So we start with Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. We go to the Four Noble Truths. From there, we go to the Second Noble Truth. Open that box and find delusion, delusional thinking. We can't see the danger in it. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> with the danger that, and all the wanting, the delusion is the, wanting. the delusion is the danger that we don't see that wanting leads to suffering, and and not liking leads okay. to suffering. Okay. Not liking leads to having enemies. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
And believe me, if you've got enemies, they'll work to make you suffer. Yeah. And you'll make sure that they do. <laughs> you'll prod them somehow to take revenge upon you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so that's all unwholesome and dangerous. And when it gets to the level of the uh, Hatfield and McCoys, it's deadly. For generations, it's deadly. And all it is is the delusion that it's okay and I can get away with not liking something, not liking somebody. Mm-hmm. And that's delusional thinking. So we need to figure out how that delusional thinking does, in fact, wind up in suffering for us so that we can actually see the danger. Okay. Therefore, we can then plot the escape. The analysis, and that's why it's very useful and valuable for someone with this, with the skills of Anapanasati to figure out how his own mind works. Mm-hmm. That's basically what we're talking about. That's what the teaching of Paticca Samuppada is, is teaching ourselves uh, to investigate and to figure out how the mind works, especially from one state into a state of woefulness, a woeful state. Mm-hmm. I, I don't so, know the term, but woeful means really bad. Right, means really okay. bad, like hell. Okay. <laughs> hell is a woeful state. <laughs> okay. Okay. Being a ghost, a hungry ghost that is oh, yeah. always hungry and always hungry and never gets filled, that's a woeful state. Mm-hmm. Okay. We'll talk about the woeful states later. But, that, but right now we're setting the basis of the foundation for why and what's the point of the teaching of Paticca Samuppada is for, for us to really get a load of how dangerous it is that it's not just the second noble truth, it's not just the source of suffering, it's also got the key built into the solution for it, which is basically wake up, see that that's dangerous, and escape. Run! <laughs> Throw it out. Relinquish it. Dust it off. Put it up for sale. And get rid of it. <laughs> and Paticca Samupada helps breaking it down, down, down to see it earlier, earlier, earlier. Uh-huh. So that we can see the source of all of that. Exactly so. And so... Now um, we can see that sequence of Dukkha Naroda, Dukkha Dukkha Naroda, down to the Four Noble Truths, to the second one, and from the second one we go into delusion, which brings us to the practice of Anapanasati, the four foundations of mindfulness that could break out into the five aggregates, which are part of Paticca Samuppada. Now that's, okay. that's the way that it, it breaks down. And could you... When, could you give a quick introduction to the five aggregates like i think we haven't talked we're about we're going to have a long one okay <laughs> that's what's come first because until we get what the aggregates really are we won't see how they operate to to bring about uh uh the things that are brought about by the combination of these things mm-hmm. that in fact the, the easy way to, to start it is by looking at it from the perspective of general systems theory which teaches that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. 
So in this regard, the pack, the aggregates, each individual one of them is one of the parts. And when they come together, they create a whole, which is a function, just like an automobile. You take all the parts of the automobile all over the yard. You got the engine over here and the seats over mm -hmm. there and the body over there. You can't, you got nothing. You got yeah. car parts. But when all of those car parts are put together, now you have something new. We'll call it transportation. Got it. Okay, so there's something that's greater than the sum of the parts. And the five aggregates of a human being, the, the whole sum total of those is a human being. Mm -hmm. Dot, dot, dot. Warts and all. Okay. All right. Now, what I mean by the warts is that's the danger part. Mm -hmm. That we could put the five aggregates together and, a, and the human being wakes up and says, whoopee, I'm free, I'm life. Let me go investigate and have fun. Well, in fact, we're talking about childhood now, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. And then the rules come in and all of that is added to in the Sankara. And so we built up a set of rules, a way of doing things, uh, attachment to rules, and we do that to get along. It's very instinctual. It's out of the herding instinct or the nesting instinct that we got to go along to get along. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we build up all of these rules and that that's also part of the Sankara. It's part of our collective groupings of of things that we picked up over life. And we use that then uh, when we identify and recognize when we see it, we recognize that that's a horse. Okay. Because, we, because we've got all of the tools necessary now. This might be a variety of a horse that we don't recognize, but because we've got hoarseness with all of the aspects of horse kind of built in with all the examples you've seen over your life, you can recognize this too as a horse. Mm -hmm. Is this is this Sankara Sankara um, this context stuff? Because I think I read about the mind illuminated. If you see a snake in Thailand, you know will think, oh shit, a snake. But if you see one in Germany, you won't think snake. You will just think, okay, it's just a string of. You you know that the context um, is required to to build ideas. Yes, and in fact, it's different even in Thailand. When some Thais see that snake, they say, mmm, dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and other people will say, snake, mmm, dangerous. Yeah, because they have uh, different memories and different stuff built up in their past. Exactly so. Now, just like that snake, some people see it as dangerous, other people see it as delicious. Who's most likely going to actually get bit by that snake. The one who's scared. No. No? No. Why? Oh, no, no, obviously well, the one who wants to eat it. He's the right, one who's the scared one who's going to mess with yeah, the yeah, snake. Yeah, yeah, sure. exactly. yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, it was more in the fear part and that animals can smell fear, but that's bullshit. <laughs> well, it's not necessarily bullshit, but the, uh, and it may be, in fact, be true. Running away from the snake is dangerous. The right thing to do is just to stop and stand. Okay. 
Yeah, but obviously that, the one who wants to eat it and mess with it, yeah. <laughs> right, the one who wants to eat it, he's going to go mess with that snake, and he may get a surprise if he's not very careful. So yeah. that's the whole point then, is that's delusion, seeing the delight in the snake without seeing the danger. Uh, okay. And we do that with everything in our life, especially things that have to do with the world, the things that we have to do with business, buying products, materialism. We have to do that with magic and religion. We have to do that with uh, the interactions with the uh, people at large in the sense of government and politics. And we mm -hmm. also do that in the sense of the way that we run our educational systems and how we teach our children in the first place. I call this the grab. Government, religion, education, and business. Yeah. These are all, as a group, dangerous. Mm -hmm. And we need to be able to see that danger rather than seeing the delight. Most people just see the delight in it. And because of that, like um, seeing the delight in politics mean, oh, if I vote Democrat, we're going to get uh, uh, free health care or something. Okay, yeah. Sure. So um, this is uh, part of the danger because messing with Democrats is kind of like messing with a snake. It's dangerous. Mm -hmm. If you want to eat that snake, it might bite you. Okay. And that same is true with every Republican and every Democrat and every Socialist and every uh, uh, Christian Democratic Party there is. They all are <clears throat> dangerous. And expecting the government to do something for you is dangerous thinking. Expecting your university degree to do something for you is dangerous. Okay, because so we we like with the with the education, it's because you like is it is it because you attach to to some to a system with that? For example, I have this degree, and this degree is only valuable like in certain parts of the world, and I'm attached with mm -hmm. this degree to to especially I am a web developer, I am this, and uh, I have this degree, and this is my education, and because of this, I am this. And I'm attached to the system, and um, is it because of that dangerous? That's the danger in it. Okay. And and that uh, kind of danger is all over the place. But yes, so a particular degree will pigeonhole someone into a particular profession. Yes. And it also will many times pigeonhole someone into a particular job. Mm -hmm, sure. And so this is the danger of it, that people do not get the freedom from the degree that they thought that they would. That in fact, it's, it's dangerous. It's a burden in and of itself and on its own. Not only that, but in some places it may have been very expensive. And now you're going to be paying for that degree yeah. that is not giving you the joy and the, and the freedom of life that you thought you was going to have with that degree. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the example with uh, education. Business, that's, that's the biggie. They'll sell you anything and they'll tell you anything to get you to buy it. Yeah, that's the easy one to see, yeah. 
buy this new car and you'll be happy and yeah but do this and do that yeah yeah <laughs> exactly they're called some cars are called chip magnets yeah <laughs> okay so this is the whole idea about materialism mm -hmm. now when we begin to understand that all the teachings of the Buddha is about teachings to see the dangers as they really are, let's start looking at the things that I do in my mind that are dangerous. Because I look at how much I picked up from the outside world. We've just been talking about what's out there in the world and how that we pick that up. But the real danger is that we spin that stuff around in the mind. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, we begin, first off, to look at the five aggregates in one particular context. And that context is, is that there is no self in any of these five aggregates. If there is a self, it is the sum total results of the, end, of the uh, congruency of these five aggregates coming together to form a human being. If okay, any so. of these five aggregates are broken apart, you don't have a fully functioning human being anymore, and there is no uh, container for self. The self is contained in uh, that which is the greater part that is larger than the sum of each individual parts. But actually, the, the, um, the body itself, there is no self there. Okay. And we can go really, really deep into the uh, biochemistry to find out that, that, first off, with the body, we do it along with, um, with physics. To, to point out that anybody who's got an idea of an eternal self that is going to survive and still be alive and well after the body breaks up, that can only be delusional thinking, and it's dangerous to think that way. But in reality, the body itself breaks up, and there is nothing in the body that remains anything about you. That if the worms eat oh, you okay. and eat the DNA, that DNA, your DNA, became, becomes worm DNA. And when the worms die, it becomes bacteria DNA or tree DNA or whatever. Ah, okay, so if you take out the consciousness out of the body, you just have a body. That's, yeah. Right. And so, in that regard, the consciousness is dependent upon these other things. And so, your consciousness in and of itself is not a self. It's not you. Now, the consciousness is actually what Hindu teaches, and, and Christianity also has picked up on that when I die, who is me is some ghostly kind of figure in a nebulous world that's not quite really physical. And there's been arguments in Christianity back and forth over what about the resurrection of the body and the restoration of the body. Okay. Because everybody actually cannot trust consciousness all by itself. They want the body too. Mm -hmm. But in the old Hinduism, it was the understanding that it was the consciousness that ran from, from uh, life to life, experiencing the results of good and bad action, good and bad actions from the past. Okay. It was consciousness. 
And the Buddha was very, very firm with the guy who brought that up. Told him that he didn't have even a sliver of wisdom. And then starts talking about that consciousness itself is dependently arising. That you've got to actually have an eye. A physical, real eye. In other words, so to have a photograph, you've got to have a camera. Period. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, I, I think I get it. You get it. That body, you don't have consciousness. You've got to have an eye, but also because the I need eye. Input. And the end, but the eye is not just a functioning as a device or just a piece of meat there that requires a body, but it's a, got a function, and that function is sight. Mm -hmm. And so when the eye sees an object, there is sight. This is what the Buddha explains. This is what consciousness is. Consciousness requires the eye and the object, and together the, those are inside the mind, making it sight. Mm -hmm. But that's not the deeper kind of consciousness. That's just the beginning kind. We'll talk about the deeper kind as a manufactured quality of the mind a little bit later. Right now we're talking about bare bones uh, instinct, uh, excuse me, um, sight itself. An example of that would be, I see the tree, it's fairly, fairly um, benign. There's not much that it takes to build a tree. But, um, to have, but to remember that, oh, I don't like that tree because it reminds me of a tree that my grandfather was hung under. Okay, mm -hmm. now that all of that show that's coming up is not uh, is part also of the perception, but it's got my Sankara added to it. Yeah, makes sense. Not just a basic Sankara of tree, but it's got the basic Sankara of that tree, plus my story about trees or my story about that tree, etc. So it's my story that is added to it. Mm -hmm. that, that story that's added comes out of Sankara, it comes out of the past. So we bring this old story up and put it on the now tree, and that's what we perceive, or that's the internal representation. That internal representation is called Salayatana. Now, what the Buddha was actually pointing out from the very beginning is, is that it's ignorance that brings upon this Sankara. In other words, when we were born as little kids, we start learning as little kids, but we learn ignorantly. We make a lot of mistakes. We make a lot of assumptions. Kids mm -hmm. make up stuff. Mm -hmm. Sure. And if they're allowed to believe it, they'll take it to church. Okay, and that's that's how Sankara builds. They they make up stuff, like they, they, they explain the world they explain the world to themselves and just take it as given and then apply this framework that they learned and just as life and goes we, on the framework expands. Exactly, and we all do that. Yeah. Okay. But just like that body and physically, without one molecule in that body being a uh, a cell. And by the way, the generally molecules, other than things like uh, 
biomolecules like DNA. DNA is complicated enough, but it's also very delicate. We're talking about something that's so strong that it'll survive death, and yet sophisticated enough that it can determine which person is which. Mm-hmm. Like Nagasaki, and you have 100,000 people die. Woof. What are you going to do with all of those souls if you can't tell them apart? They're all dead all at the same time. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, logic would say, yes, they're dead. Period. Yeah. But magical thinking is, oh, they're not dead yet. The body is dead, but there's a soul or a spirit or whatever, and that spirit will go on. Well, what is it that's going on has to be complicated enough to carry some of its past with it, at least as, as uh, a database um, uh, access key. Yeah. Okay. okay. But there is no such molecule like that. So whatever a, 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 that is reborn, whatever a soul there can be, that that cannot be literally in the body. Okay. Cannot be the body. And one of the things that's very interesting as far as this goes with the body, the feelings, the mind and the mind's objects is, is that the body is the most stable. In other words, mm-hmm. your feelings come up and down a lot. Yeah. The states of mind you're in come up and down a lot. But the one that's the most common is the one of the thoughts that just up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. Okay. And we are not any of those things. Even the most stable of all is the body. But still, yeah. it's subject to a lot of change. You're not the same body that you had when you were six years old. Obviously. Or, or even when you were 16. Yeah. That, in fact, they've come to understand that every cell in the body dies within about seven years. Every cell. But further than that, down at the nuclear level, even if a cell will last seven years, Many of the uh, molecules that are in that cell will still go in and out. For instance, waters will come in, but it's not going to be the same molecule of water that goes out. That, may, that molecule may stay there for a little while, and then out it goes, and another one comes in. But it's not just the water, it's everything. Okay. So everything it's... goes in and out. Everything's a flow, and the human body is constantly in motion, constantly in flux. Constantly taking in food, making nourishment. The body, the uh, blood is going around and around, and is being cleaned in and out. And it's got air coming in and out. And I mean, what an activity thing this is! Even when we're in a bed of sleep, we think that nothing's happening. And oh no, inside the body, it's just tons of things going on. Mm-hmm. Even kidneys are doing kidney stuff, speaking the kidney language. So, in that way, we understand that the body is the most stable, and yet it's constantly in motion. (laughs) Everything else is also very fluid, and there's nothing stable anywhere. Okay. There is no object or anything that we can cling to as a me. Everything is in and out. The thoughts change. You don't have the same thoughts you did when you were 15. And yet somehow or another, you still say, yeah, but it was me when I was 15. Guess what? That was a thought then and is still a thought now. And you are not the thought 
that you were then. When you said me at the age of 15, that's not saying the same thing as me now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everything is changing. Even the yeah. thoughts of who am I are changing. And when we wake up to that, then we can recognize and start looking at the, the flow, that things are always flowing. There's always a stream of stuff happening. Nothing is staying still. Mm-hmm. And that at best, we're just in a giant cauldron of bubbling soup called life. And there is no self anywhere. There is no, uh, let us say, bone in the stew. Yeah. Um, and how does one approach this? Like, because rationally, yeah, it makes sense. Everything you're saying, it, yeah, it makes sense. And when, when you see stuff, you know, you go along and you, yeah, it's kind of easy to see sometimes when you, I think they call it this point of contact. And if you have this wisdom at the point of contact and you see it, like it's sometimes easy to see, yeah, that's just Sankara. But that's more rational than like, it doesn't feel like it's really that's penetrating. that's how we start out, until you actually get down to that point of actually see your thoughts forming. Okay. And if you look closely, you can begin to do that. You can begin to see that what we do is, is that we perceive things. We see an object, we dig around in the garbage to find out some context to put this thing in, and we stack that garbage with it, and we produce that as an internal representation of what we saw out there. And then that is what we allow to contact us. Often what contacts us is stuff out of our own past, not what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. But we think it is happening right now. Though in fact, we just dug up all that stuff out of our own mind. Yeah, yeah we built this idea of, of all the stuff. Yeah, we, we have mm -hmm. this framework and then just you see all functions. Okay, so this now in the, in the sense of Paticca Samuppada is called Nama Rupa. Okay. Nama Rupa means we take the Rupa, the reality, the real deal. And we create something of our own about it. We name it. We give it a, a structure. We call it a tree. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Nama Rupa, but we do more than just name it. In order to name it, we have to recognize it, recognize it. So the recognition is the digging down into the Sankara to get some frame of reference. If we dig down in there and we don't have any frame of reference, we're going to wind up being confused about it, which is a kind of feeling. Yeah. But if we rummage down in there and we find some context that we like, then we create something that we like that impacts us and we have the feeling, I like it. Yeah. Okay. If we dig down in there into that Sankara and come up with something that we don't like, then we're going to plaster that to the reality of the present moment, feed that in as uh, now the actual input to Salayatana or the created image or the concept that we create. And when we create that concept, 
That's what impacts us, not what was actually on the outside world, but what we create on the inside of the mind. And okay, that's so you're saying what impacts us. Okay, so you're saying without all the Sankara and all this building up and, and digging around, nothing would impact us. Like if I see that's right. Yeah, stuff yeah. that scares me, and if I just see it as okay, that's darkness and the tree and the woods and exactly and okay. fear is optional and fear comes from your sankara of fear okay built up over time fear in fact some people like the darkness yeah <laughs> they they think that they can get away with anything in the darkness So, um, this is the way that we get started with Paticca Samuppada is by understanding the five aggregates is not self. Okay. Your memories that happened to you is, were nothing but images that came in and you took that in and, and put that in, but there's no self in there. It's just memories. And not only mm -hmm. that, but they're not very, very accurate. We didn't mm -hmm. get the information in correctly. We didn't store it correctly. We didn't keep it correctly. And now we're refreshing and bringing it up when we're not doing that correctly either. Humans are not very good at constructing reality. Mm -hmm. That's why it's taken us so many thousands of years to build a, a civilization. And look what we've got. <laughs> we're not very good at it, I'll tell you. So... Um, this all constructed reality that we construct, we don't understand that we're making that up. We confuse our constructed reality with the actual reality. And the example would be that right here around me, there's no danger. I'm completely safe. Mm -hmm. And yet the feeling of fear can come with a thought. Oh, okay. I've got to write that email. Oh, if yeah. I don't stop that from happening, I won't get my inheritance and all of that kind of stuff, you know? So mm -hmm. it's all, all that fear then comes up in the mind, but the reality is I'm safe. Yeah. 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 So this is what Patita Samupati is, is just teaching us less more in, in reality and less and less out of our constructed past because it influences every idea that we have. An example mm -hmm. of that would be that you could get an email from an unknown source. They write you an email and they've got a subject to talk about and they address you and they do the business. But if that exact same email with exact same contents comes to you from someone that you know, then more than likely you're going to flavor that incoming email with things that you know about the person who wrote it. Yeah. And you may, in fact, find great delight in that because it's one person, or you might find great anger because someone else had written it to you. Yeah, yeah, sure. Like, you can... Like, it's I don't know. It's amazing. Yeah. It's the same email. It's the 
mentality, but now we have three different ways of dealing with it. We yeah. like it, we don't like it, or we don't know. Mm. Yeah, we, we react to things before knowing enough about them. We maybe. And we react to things based upon what we perceive is going to be. That perceiving or that perception is the Nama Rupa. Naming things or taking uh, the point of view that we know it without doing a full investigation. Okay. So we need to do investigations right here in the here now and investigate everything that we're doing with what we see, hear, feel, touch, taste, and take in from the outside world and put it through a filter. Is this wholesome or not? And what am I doing with it? Am I creating something out of my past or am I allowing what is happening right now to be here right now? Dogs are like that, as an example, that you can whip a dog and punish a dog, and he'll snuck off for about five or ten minutes. And then he'll be bounding back, and I'm all joyful, and I'm glad to see you, and everything like that, and I've forgotten all about the fact that you just beat the tire out of me ten minutes ago. Yeah. But you're not going to do that as a human. If somebody beats the tar out of you, you're not going to come bouncing back with great joy ever again. Sure. Yeah. And then you spend a few years in a watt. <laughs> and then you might be able to say, yeah, I'm glad to see you. Here, you see that big scar on my shoulder? You did that one. I saw you. <laughs> So this is how we do things. We carry around a past that hurts the present moment. This yeah. is how the mind works. And so this is why we mean about perception and consciousness and um, uh, Sankara, which are part of the five aggregates, along with the, uh, the body and the feelings. The body is in combination with that, give rise to feelings. And what do we feel is not what we saw. What we feel is what we think we saw. Based upon our own understanding of what we're looking at. Which has perhaps old feelings milked into it. And so you can see this stuff is kind of a giant circle. Yeah. And so uh, where the Sankara feeds the present moment which then causes trouble, which gets stored in our Sankara, which then brings up the next moment. And this cycle that we're in, we kind of perceive as this is who I am, this is me. And it's nothing but a sequence of events that happens over and over and over again, a thought form. This is me, this is mine. Yeah, and that's why, okay. But the, but the and... self itself does not really exist. That self does not exist in actual consciousness. It doesn't really exist in our uh, method of perceiving things. In other words, the way that the actual mind works is, um, is the, um, the job of perception. Think about perception as something like a hotel clerk standing at the counter, beh behind the counter, and the guests come in, 
And when the guests come in, they tell him what, or maybe he recognizes them and says, okay. And he goes to the big boxes where the keys are. And he says, oh, you've got mail. Oh, you've got keys. Mm -hmm. But if he misunderstands who it is, or if someone comes in with a particular uh, remember of a feeling, he may not want to give them their key. Or he may give them the wrong key. Mm hmm. Okay, so we can think of uh, our our perception is like that uh, uh, clerk at a hotel, subject to making mistakes. And you can think of the Sankara as that big group of um, uh, boxes behind him where the keys are stored. Okay. And that one of those keys may be in the wrong box. Key A may be in box B, and key B is in box A, and so you give him the wrong key. You know Mr. A, and so you give Mr. A Mr. A's key out of box A, and it's not. It's Mr. B's key. Okay. Right? This is how San screwed up. Because it's not trustworthy. Because we are it's not good at not, okay. It's not trustworthy. We have to investigate. Okay. That's what this is all about, is to investigate, to make sure. So now that we've come up with this much of it, we have actually come to about the halfway point. Okay. And that halfway point is, is that once we construct something internally within our mind, that is what contacts us. The mm -hmm. Pali word is pasa. Okay. So. So far, within this context of the five aggregates and Petita Samapada, we can say that Sankara is the base of all of this, but that that Sankara was constructed upon a foundation of ignorance, childhood ignorance, and continuing ignorance, continuing delusions. Okay, so all of our memory systems uh, uh, are subject to rot and decay because those keys were placed in that box wrongly, ignorantly. So the Pali word then is uh, a jiva, not knowing is ignorance. And then Sankara is the second one. And then the third one is consciousness, which is uh, Vinaya, no, Sanya, sorry. And then the next one is Nama Rupa, also Sanya, which is uh, the construction of it, followed by our internal representation, the Salayatana. This gives rise to step six of Petita Samupada, contact. And that okay. contact has a force behind it. It is not a, a nudge, it's a shove. Okay, so the contact is when the car is built and... Right. Okay. That's a good point. Right, exactly. What is contact is when you turn that key and that motor roars to life. Okay. Okay, that's the contact. And you actually, they use that word in the old aircraft um, piston engines when they had to be hand cranked. And so uh, they would uh, get everything ready and he would prime the gas thing and, and all of that. And then someone would yell contact. And that's when the guy would throw the thing down. But at that same time, the guy in the cockpit, the pilot, turned the uh, ignition on. Mm -hmm. Because if you turn the ignition on at the wrong time, you, in those days, you could blow the engine up instead of start it up. So that point of contact is when that engine comes roaring to life.
when okay. that hand plank is done. That's the force of it, okay, to get things started. And what is the roaring to life of the engine is nothing but our feelings. Okay, so the feelings would come next after contact. The feelings come next, which is Vedana. Now, okay. one of the things that one student has pointed out that in his Indian language, the word Vedana has a negative connotation. Okay. And it is also true that way in Buddhism, uh, but that people don't understand it. Mm -hmm. But it is there in the sense that if you want something, if you like something, you cannot just to take delight in the fact that you see it. You want it. Ah, okay. And if you want it, then you'll grab hold of it and try to consume it. It's yours. This is where the self comes in. The selfishness arises when we try to grasp hold of something that belongs to us. Okay, why does so it belong to us? It's because we have the feelings. Go ahead. Um, so I, I, I think one talk you, you made a difference between feeling and emotion. Do you mean with feeling now this liking, not liking and uh, not knowing? Or do you mean like sad, anger? Let us say that feelings that we're talking about here are subtle that give rise to emotion. Okay. Okay. The feeling of not liking Granny Die is what brings on the grief over Granny's death. Okay. And then when, when this is the point where the self comes in, they're like, I'm grieving, I'm sad. At okay. the point of emotion, the self is fully born. And that emotional state is always considered a woeful state. For instance, if I don't like something and that brings on anger, then I will be reborn in the state of hell. Mm -hmm. Hell is is a buddhist way of expressing or 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 let us say pigeonholing anger anger is a state of hell why because when we're in a state of anger we want out we don't like this situation we want to escape we'll do anything to get out of it mm -hmm. and yet we never do Okay. But we will even we will relax. Basically, uh, it happens in many ways in the sense that we finally get out of our denial into acceptance. While we're in denial or in the states of denial, that's when anger will come. We'll become angry after we deny it. Okay, we don't like it, and if we don't like it. Instead of don't uh, of just accepting, oh, I don't like gra Granny dying. Then I will uh, deny. Are you sure? She was just here. Okay, that's the first stage. That's mm. denial. Are you sure? Well, I just told you Granny died. Do you expect me to come and tell you a joke like that? No. Why don't you just accept the fact that I told you she died? Okay. Are you sure? <laughs> Or other things would like, oh, no, how can this be? It's the same thing. It's a set of denial. Okay. But that denial will get a, go, go to the point of, what do you mean she's dead? You did it. Uh, you know, yeah. It's like we blame the messenger. All right. So mm -hmm. here's, comes the, uh, 
but it's still that anger is part of denial. Okay. And so in this regard, it's always that feelings, Vedana, give rise to our uh, clinging, our tanha. Mm-hmm. Okay, the grasping and then the actual hanging on is in upadana. Okay. All right. So let's finish this talk and talk about the second half of Paticca Samuppada next time. We've integrated the five aggregates and the fact that there is no self anywhere in them and then putting them together to see how they operate together with that old Sankara to bring about an image that is not, uh, or that say that that image has more in it than the reality of the situation, that we're adding something to it. Mm-hmm. And that's dangerous. Okay. And that's the contact. And that's when we, that's what contacts us. Okay. Is that, is that image that we've made or that constructed reality that we've constructed in order to fit into our understanding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when one would see before this contact gets created, when one would see like, um, yeah, let's go back to the woods. When when I, let's say I'd go into the woods at night and I would see, okay, this is darkness, this is this. And before I get this contact, then there wouldn't be the sense of self. Right. But, I get, but I guess it's that fast that I can't catch us and like fear is coming up again and again and again. If the fear comes up, it's me that's afraid. The fear is in fact owned or, or uh, why? Because the fear means I am in danger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The self-preservation instinct has been kicked into gear because of the mentally constructed image that being at Night in the woods is dangerous. Okay. Okay, guess what? The Buddha lived year after year after year, night after night, year after year in the woods. And died at the ripe old age of 80. Yeah. For food poisoning. Okay. okay. He did not die from the woods. So that means that the woods may not be all that dangerous. Yeah, and it's just sankaras that make us stand. But okay. your sankaras of memories of dangers in the woods is what makes it dangerous for mm-hmm. you. This is one of the reasons why um, one of the exercises that I've seen in many places, including both India and Japan, is to take a group of students on either a blind trust walk or somehow get them into the cemetery. Oh, yeah. And get them to spend the night in the cemetery. Mm-hmm. to find out that, that that a cemetery is probably the least dangerous place in the city at night. Why? Because everyone else is afraid to be in the cemetery at night. And so nobody's there, and you're completely alone. Yeah. With the occasional uh, grave robber, but we don't have any reasons for that anymore. We can get all the dead bodies we want out of the morgue. Thank you very much. We don't have to dig them up out of the ground. And so any digging up that's done nowadays is done by a shovel because the police have a uh, piece of paper from a judge, a warrant or something. 
And they don't do that at night. So believe me. No, don't believe me. Go to the cemetery and prove it for yourself. The cemeteries are safe at night. <laughs> and in Germany, so are the woods. <laughs> yeah, but uh, some, some, some kind of wisdom is needed, right? So you don't get overwhelmed. Well, you have to know and be here now. Yeah. You have to see. You have to recognize that what that was that freaked me out just now is not real. It was my own freak out. Yeah. My own fears. And that's like the basic practice, uh, I guess, right? Like go through every day and see every contact and check out like mm -hmm. what was it? How, how did it become from seeing this to <laughs> feeling this? There is actually a sutta where the Buddha talks about the deal with fear is um, there's actually two things. One is to be around dead bodies. Mm -hmm. Go to the morgue, go to an autopsy, go to what they call the charnel ground. Yeah, watch, watch one on YouTube. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. And the other one um, is to go uh, spend time in, in haunted places. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's what the Buddha did. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not now. <laughs> well, when there's time, yeah. when you're ready to get over your fear. So let's call this from finish now. Yeah. And next time you call, we'll deal with uh, Petitu Samupada in its um, later forms. So okay, we've gotten nice. about half it now. Nice. Okay. Cool. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye-bye. See you later. Yeah.